0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another World's Last Night podcast. My name is James Thayer. Today, I will be reading chapters 7 and 8 of Genesis and offering commentary. Uh, Right now, my daughter's breaking my heart because uh, I can hear her mom telling her that uh, is working, and she's going, Dad, 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 Uh, looking for me, but I am... Working to make this podcast today before I have to actually go into work. So, um, one of the reasons, though, that I, I want to make this series is so that my kids, including Ella, my daughter, can one day, you know, even if I die early, have a record of my thoughts on Scripture. And so they don't have to start from scratch, but they can improve upon what their parents learned about Scripture. So today, starting in verse 7, we're going to go through, I'm sorry, chapter 7 through chapter 8, I wanted to first talk a little bit about the difficulty in interpreting Genesis and specifically the story of Noah's flood. Noah's flood gets harped on a lot. There are some uh, inconsistencies depending on which way you want to look at it. Um, Some of these can, some of these are, for example, the fact that there's scant evidence that there was ever a global flood of the entire world. Um, I have said before that we do have evidence that the entire world was covered with water, completely with water, um, but that was at our at our genesis of it. <laughs> That's funny. Um, not necessarily after human beings came along. Now, others will argue against me on this. I'm sure there's a lot of people who are more fundamental about Scripture uh, and probably Uh, Adhere to the answering answers in Genesis. I think is a website or the Creation Museum, and have a totally different outlook on all of this. I, in particular, did not become. I wasn't a Christian from the start. I guess that's a decent way of putting it. I actually had already believed in things like evolution and the history of the world, and I believe that science and history inform our faith, and that they do commingle and that there are a lot of things that we're going to just have to take on faith, such as the Trinity. The Trinity is a logical impossibility for us. Uh, What I do is I, I have faith in its existence. I think it's actually the only rational way to explain some things in Scripture, but it's sort of impossible for me to hold in my mind with my limited faculties the concept of a three persons in one being. That's okay. There's a lot of things that I believe, or would be difficult for humans to understand about the spirit realm. But we do have a lot of evidence for localized floods throughout history, catastrophic, devastating ones. And so people that interpret Noah's flood to be a lot of hyperbole when it talks about covering the earth, not necessarily talking about the modern-day version concept of the entire planet, they believe that it's hyperbole, that this was actually a localized flood. That's one way to look at it. Now, me personally, I don't care either way. Whenever I read scripture, I believe in its, its truthfulness, but I don't believe that all of scripture was recorded in such a way that we were to, to examine under a microscope for every little detail. Um, And I also don't believe that I'm the best at interpreting Scripture or that I have all the facts nor context. We're talking about a book written several thousand years ago by supposedly Moses. We don't have proof of that, but that's traditionally what we believe. The Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, were written by Moses. Um, And we're talking about a completely different culture and mindset between a modernist, which I have, view of the world and and fact-finding, versus this ancient culture and how they wrote their stories. So, that's one thing. Another thing I'd I'd like to point out is that I went back and I found how large the Ark was. It's 1.4 million cubic feet. So, that's pretty big. It's got three levels, um, and it's reasonable to suppose that it fit at least the parent of each species on the Earth. And by that, I mean we have multiple breeds of dogs currently, but those have been bred over time uh, with uh, different genes cropping up um, within the populations um, mutations. And so then we eventually get different breeds, and then finally humans actually crossbreed to, to form new breeds of dog. Well, I would assume that back then we're talking about much less variation in the species population. So a lot of people aren't going to care about any of this. I think if you're the diehard Christian, you really don't care about any of this. Um, you sort of take the story at face value. But for listeners who might be skeptical, know that there are people out there that have thought about this. In, in depth, and there's some reasonable explanations to it. What we shouldn't do is get lo- lost, um, lose the forest, side of the forest for the trees. In other words, we shouldn't get distracted by the tree itself, the details, and, and forget the big picture of what's going on here with the flood story. God is restarting the planet. It It got so evil that he basically decided, oh, we're going to start over from a clean slate. And so let's pick it up, verse 1, chapter 7. We're sort of retelling what happened in chapter 6 with a a few more details. Then the Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you alone are righteous before me in this generation. Again, I want to reiterate, that doesn't mean sinless. Um, Compared to his contemporaries, Noah was a very righteous man. And probably compared to our contemporaries, (laughs) Noah was a very righteous man. Um, but that doesn't mean sinless. And in fact, the new Testament you'll find in Romans, it says, none are righteous. Um, and again, I think it's in first John, I have to look it up. Um, there's a verse that basically says that anyone who says they're without sin are, are liars. So he's not sinless, but he's definitely a righteous man. Okay. You are to take with you seven pairs, a male and it's female of all the clean animals and two of the animals that are not clean, a male and it's female. That's interesting delineation. We haven't been given a law yet that we know of scripturally speaking, um, but apparently Noah understood what God meant by the clean and unclean animals. Now, later on, you're gonna see that Levitical law separates certain animals, ones with like cloven hooves. So um, like pigs, for example, are considered unclean. And then you have clean animals um, that were good for eating. So, Separating these, we'll talk more about Levitical law later and the purposes behind that. Okay, and two of the animals that are not clean: a male and a female, and seven pairs, male and female, of the birds of the sky, in order to keep off, keep offspring alive on the face of the whole earth. So apparently, we need lots of birds. I feel like one of those reasons is probably to spread seeds across the earth, but who knows. Seven days from now, I will make it rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. So 40 is a very, like, it's called a biblical number. You have the number 40, the number 12, you have the number 7. These are all very, oh, and 3. All very biblical numbers. If you remember Jesus, if you've read the New Testament, when he goes off in the wilderness to fast and pray, it's for 40 days and 40 nights. Well, it's going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. I'll continue. And I will wipe off the face of the earth every living living thing I have made. And Noah did everything that the Lord commanded him. So once again, Noah's being obedient. He's a righteous man. Noah was 600 years old when the deluge came. I think if I remember correctly, he had his children when he was 500 years old. So before when I was saying, I thought it was about 100 years that it took for the ark to be built. Probably a little bit less because it sounds like his sons may have been grown by the time they started. So I'd say it's less than 100, more than zero. Took quite some time. Makes sense. It was a very large boat, (laughs) shaped like a barge. Um, okay. Water covered the earth. So Noah, his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives entered the ark before well, because of the waters of the deluge. So you have Noah, his three sons, you have Noah's wife, and the three wives of his children. So that's six, that's eight people. From the clean animals, unclean animals, birds, and every creature that crawls on the earth on the ground. Okay. Two of each, male and female, into the ark with Noah, just as God had commanded him. Seven days later, the waters of the deluge came on the earth. A lot of repetition. Good stuff. I will also say this. Sometimes in scripture you'll find repetition, such as uh, those angels in the throne room saying to God, holy, holy, holy. And that writing style, basically it's like our exclamation point in modern writing. It's for emphasis. So... We've learned, we've heard now about three times the fact that two of each of these animals, male and female, were taken on the ark. It's the repetitions for emphasis. Okay, the deluge, were are in verse 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on the day all the sources, okay, on that day all the sources of the watery depths burst open. The floodgates of the sky were opened. So it's sounding like water is springing up from the ground as well as raining from the sky. And the rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. I want to point out something I said earlier, which was, I said basically that I didn't think it rained until this point. Once again, that's an argument from silence. It doesn't say that. Uh, There's not a, a, remember me talking about contradictions? If scripture said it never rained until this point, um, it would be a contradiction, right, to if it then said it rained before this point, if it contradicted itself. But right now it's, it's obviously just saying it's raining. It doesn't mean it didn't rain before this point. I know it's confusing, but I think if you read it, you'll, you'll understand what I'm trying to say here, which is in Genesis earlier, we found water boiling up from the ground. And then now we're finding it's raining. That doesn't mean that it didn't rain earlier than this point. You can't say that logically. You can't say that. So that's sort of a myth. On that same day, Noah, along with his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's wife and his three sons' wives, entered the ark with him. They entered it with all the wildlife according to their kinds, all the livestock according to their kinds, every creature that crawls on the earth according to its kind, all birds, every foal or fowl, and everything with wings according to their kinds, two of all flesh that has the breath of life, and it entered the ark with Noah. We have this issue in modern society with the fact that these wives aren't named yet. Eve got a name. There's plenty of characters, though, in the Bible, and especially when we're talking about genealogies, it's all uh, patriarchal. It's following the the this man, you know, beget this man, beget this man, when obviously women are the one actually giving birth. So these, these women aren't named, and you will find other women in the Bible who are. You're going to find Esther, an entire book written about her. You're going to find Deborah, who was a political leader and war leader for Israel in the book of Judges which is pretty awesome, but you will find other women that aren't named. And I guess there's a, there's a whole discussion of whether or not that's quote unquote fair or not, but I feel like, again, you lose sight of the forest for the trees. If you nitpick and focus on trying to read ancient literature through modernist eyes and judging it as so, I think we have to all take, take careful heed to read anything in the time in the, through the lens of its time when it was created. Um, yeah, I had some ideas that just popped in my head to discuss, but they were way too political. So I'm moving on those that entered male and female of all flesh entered, just got a command at him. Then the Lord shut him in. So this is cool. The Lord himself is the one that shuts the door of the ark. That's pretty awesome. Okay, moving on. The deluge continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and lifted up the arks; so that it rose above the earth. The waters surged and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. Okay, pretty obvious. The thing is floating. Then the waters surged even higher on the earth, and all the high mountains under the whole sky were covered. The mountains were covered as the water surged above them more than 20 feet. That's pretty deep. All flesh perished. Creatures that crawl on the earth, birds, livestock, wildlife, and all creatures that swarm on the earth, as well as all mankind. Everything with the breath of the spirit of life in its nostrils, everything on dry land died. Okay, once again, notice what it's saying. That It's the breath of life. Anything with the breath of life died on the earth. We have to remember who gave all those creatures the breath of life. That is the Creator, that is God, who has now deemed it necessary to take what He gave back. And there's something to be said there about how our lives are on loan to us. And if we abuse them, if we squander them, He does have the right to take them. There's a parable in the New Testament about a man who gains tons of wealth. Nothing wrong with that. But he gains tons of wealth, and he decides, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to actually throw up another barn, larger barns, and I'm going to put all my wealth in these new, these new barns. Because, you know, wealth back then, it would have been grain and livestock and whatever. And the Lord basically rebukes him and says, you fool, your life is demanded of you tonight. So we can't squander what God gives us. All of our wealth, all of our time, treasure, and talent are gifts. Gifts to us. The fact that you and I have rational thought, the fact that we can hear right now, It's gifts. There's plenty of people who are born without the ability to hear, plenty of people born without the ability to uh, think of abstract thoughts. It's all gifts. And the Bible says to those who are given, much is is required. So the more gifted you are, the more that God demands of you. And the more likely that if you squander those gifts, God's going to take them from you, including your, your wealth, your talent, and your time. So he gives and he takes away. And we're going to find actually that phrase in the book of Job. When we get to that, Lord gives and the Lord takes away, blessed be his name. So, you know, be careful because you're just a steward. That's all you are. That's all I am. We're a steward of the time and the days that we have on this earth. And we're charged with doing good with it and not evil. And all these people on this planet at that time were doing nothing but evil with what God had loaned them. And once again, he can't have anything to do with evil. He can't be a state's he can't be a God sponsored, you know, he can't sponsor terrorism. <laughs> he can't fund that. So he's gonna take it back if you abuse it. And he did to all these people. He wiped out every living thing that was on the surface of the ground, from mankind to livestock, to creatures that crawl, to the birds of the sky, and they were wiped off the earth. Only Noah was left, and those that were with him in the ark, and the water surged on the earth a hundred and fifty days. Okay, very cool. We're in Uh, chapter 8 now. It's pretty short. God remembered Noah as well as all the wildlife and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. So, once again, we're coming back to this idea that God remembers his promises to save, specifically. We're going to see he makes a covenant with Noah later, then we have a covenant with Abraham, then Jesus makes the new covenant with mankind, we're going to talk about all that. But it's important to know the New Testament describes God this way. It says, even if we are unfaithful, talking about us as Christians, even if we are unfaithful, God remains faithful. And then he goes on to say, because he cannot deny himself. In other words, God's character is faithfulness, and it's impossible for God to be unfaithful. So he's remembering Noah on this boat, even after 150 days, he's taking care of him and he's got plans for him. So God remembered Noah as well as all the wildlife and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. God caused a wind to pass over the earth and the waters began to subside. So that's, that's more magic right there. That's pretty cool. That's a lot like an exodus when God parts the waters, the sources of the watery depths and the floodgates of the sky were closed and the rain from the sky stops. So everything's drying up. The water steadily receded from the earth. And by the end of 150 days, the waters had decreased significantly. The ark came to rest in the seventh month on the seventh day of the month on the mountains of Ararat. I always thought it was like Ararat. (laughs) A-R-A-R-A-T. Ararat. Now, this is either in Turkey or Armenia. is where that mountain is supposed to be. The uh, modern day. So the waters continued to recede until the tenth month, and in the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were visible. Uh That would be my my house alarm. (laughs) I'm sure Ali's going to turn that off. Okay. After forty days, Noah opened the windows of the ark that he had made, and he sent out a raven. It went back and forth until the waters had dried up from the earth. I think the ravens like interesting. I don't. I honestly don't know why he sent it out and then we don't really hear about it again he sends out a raven you think ravens are scavengers i guess they're looking for dead things that might be the significance of it um (laughs) that's all i can think of so then we quickly get past this raven and then it says then he sent out a dove which is the one we always remember to see whether the water on the earth's surface had gone down but the dove found no resting place for her foot She returned to him in the ark because water covered the surface of the whole earth. He reached out and brought her into the ark to himself. So Noah waited seven days more and sent out the dove from the ark again. When the dove came to him at evening, there was a plucked olive leaf in her beak. So cool, the dove has found some foliage. We know the waters are receding and and plants, I guess, are growing. So Noah knew that the water on the earth's surface had gone down. After he had waited another seven days, he sent out the dove, but she did not return to him again. So the dove has found a resting place, which is great. In the 601st year, in the first month, on the first day of the month, the water that had covered the earth was dried up. So, in the 600th and first year, I'm guessing that means Noah was 601 years old in the first month and the first day of the month. January 1st. So, the water that had covered the earth was dried up. Then Noah removed the ark's cover and saw that the surface of, surface of the ground was drying. By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was dry. That's super specific. Once again, that's really not how you write fiction. You don't normally have those dates and details like that unless you're, you're Tolkien and you're writing Lord of the Rings, then you're that systematic. All right. Verse 15, then God spoke to Noah, come out of the ark, you, your wife, your sons, and your sons' wives with you. Bring out every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds, livestock, creatures that crawl on the ground, and they will spread over the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So God has a plan. So Noah, along with his sons, his wife and his son's wives came out all wildlife on all wildlife, all livestock, every bird and every creature that crawls on the earth came out of the ark by their groups. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. So it's who knows how much time has passed, honestly, between this. That's one thing you got to keep in mind about scripture. It sometimes doesn't say how much time passed. Earlier it was saying, who knows how much time passed, though, but the, one of the first things Noah does, we can at least say, one of the first things he does, or one of the first recorded things, is he builds an altar to the Lord. That's awesome. So he took some of every kind of clean animal and every kind of clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, this was another thing that my, uh, my Jewish theolo- theology teacher had an issue with. Remember I was saying she had an issue with God walking in Genesis 2. She had an issue with God smelling stuff. In Genesis 8. So, okay. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. He said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of man, even though man's inclination is evil from his youth. So what does that mean? The the smelling? Um, who knows? Uh, what you can at least say is that his actions, Noah's actions were pleasing to God. Okay. So he's about to make a promise with Noah or with mankind. I'll never curse the ground again because of man, even though man's inclination is evil from his youth. is recognizing who man has become. And then he says, I will never again strike down every living thing as I have done. And then this is a sort of quoted. As long as the earth endures, sea time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night will not cease. I think in a little bit we're going to get a rainbow. And it's going to be a little more explicit. But basically God promises he's not going to flood the earth again to destroy all mankind. Now, we will find out that he does destroy it with fire. I don't know which one would be better, honestly. I think the point, though, is uh, you don't want to be the one being destroyed. Instead, you know, live your life like Noah. Think of God first. You know, build the altar in your life. This This sounds way too like youth pastory. But you are accountable for your actions. And God has the right to hold you accountable for those actions. And that includes the things that other people don't know about. The secret things in your life that you've thought, you've said, you've did, you've done. He sees those things and knows those things. And because he is righteous and he's a holy God, he holds us accountable for them. But, but, just as God provided this ark for Noah and his family, he also provides Jesus Christ as the atonement for our sins. So, Those things that we've done, we've said, we've thought, past, present, and future, Jesus has died to atone for those. And I know that doesn't make much sense. If this is your first time going through the Bible, getting to Jesus, it doesn't make too much sense, but it's going to, trust me. The further along we get into the story of mankind, the more it's going to make sense as to why Jesus had to come and how God set it up like that from the beginning, even. Now, what we're going to find is even with a, a hard restart, a reboot of earth with a, a righteous man and his righteous family, we're still going to devolve again. So this is why there there has to be some sort of permanent fix. And there's God will eventually make this promise that he's going to write his laws on the heart of man. He's going to do that through Jesus Christ and through sending the Holy Spirit to indwell the believer so we can be sanctified, which means separated from the world and, and separated from our fleshly desires, which are to sin and to rebel against God. So it's, this is all sad that he had to kill all these people, but I don't think that's what we should focus on. Rather, I think we should focus on the hope we have in Jesus Christ so that we won't be counted among these people. So that's all I have for you today. Thanks again for tuning in. And until next time, we're going to be uh, in chapter 9, and we're going to see God's covenant with Noah. And I can't wait.